Almighty God, I do pray that you would empower uh, a vessel weak and flawed such as myself to deliver your words for your people. May your spirit enliven them and may they become for us food for this season and for this Lenten journey as we approach the cross and the glorious resurrection of Jesus. And so feed our hearts, we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you may have noticed a few different things this morning. You will be kneeling a lot more during Lent, so I hope you're used to that. It'll be okay. We won't have the exhortation every Sunday. Uh, that's for the first Sunday of Lent and Trinity Sunday and the first Sunday of Advent. So uh, that was a little extra time on your knees, but that never hurts, does it? Um, go ahead and turn with me, if you would, this morning to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We're continuing our Lenten sermon series through the appointed Psalms. And each of these Psalms offers us something essential for our Lenten pilgrimage as we journey to the cross and tomb of Jesus and beyond that emptied tomb to the resurrection life of God's new creation. On Ash Wednesday, we looked at Psalm 103. That Psalm gave us the gift of perspective, a true perspective of our broken human condition as sinful, frail, and mortal. And it also gave us a true perspective of God as our infinite loving Father who gives Jesus as the ultimate answer to each of our brokennesses, of our broken ways. And this morning we turn to Psalm 51 and we receive from it the gift of cleansing. So we received the gift of perspective and now we receive the gift of cleansing. Psalm 51 is a poetic prayer of repentance. And the central image of the psalm is indeed that. It's the image of cleansing. Verse 1, just listen to these. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your mercies, wipe clean my offenses. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my wickedness and cleanse me of my sin. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The image of cleansing that best captures this psalm, I think, is found in Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. There, Jesus tells us about a man, a, a pilgrim, returning from a pilgrimage to Jerusalem who fell among robbers and was beaten within an inch of his life. After a priest and a Levite refused to stop and help out of fear that they would become ritually unclean. A Samaritan passes by, and out of compassion, he stops. And then Jesus tells us this. The Samaritan went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. He touched him. He cleansed his wounds. He washed him. He cared for him so that healing, restoration might take place. This Samaritan risked risked becoming unclean himself to clean and dress the pilgrim's wounds. Psalm 51 is the cry of every sin-beaten pilgrim, of every person who adopts the perspective of Psalm 103 and sees truly and clearly our broken, sin-filled human condition and God's character. God's character is that loving, merciful Father who's abounding in loving kindness. Look there at Psalm 51 with me, beginning there in verse 1 and 2. It begins with pleas for cleansing. 
Listen to them again. Have mercy on me, O God. Hear these as, hear these as the pleas of a beaten and bloodied person, of one crushed by his or her own sin and twisted desires. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. That's the Hesed love of God. We've heard a lot about that in the last several months. According to the multitude of your mercies, wipe clean my offenses. Wash me thoroughly from my wickedness and cleanse me from my sin. These are the pleas of one completely and utterly helpless. The psalmist acknowledges that he is incapable of cleansing himself from sin, just like the half-dead pilgrim of Jesus' parable is utterly unable to cleanse and bind up his wounds. The psalmist fully acknowledges here his broken human condition in those three phrases, my offenses, my wickedness, my sin. He expresses here a clear-eyed perspective of himself And it drives him to the outstretched arms of God. Drives him to God pleading for mercy, pleading for cleansing. You see, the psalmist grounds his pleas for cleansing in the core character of God that we looked at even on Ash Wednesday. His hesed love and his compassionate mercy. And he bets everything on that reality that God is indeed merciful and overflowing with mercy. He bets everything. He doubles down on it. This is the only place he can run, having seen his own sin clearly. The psalmist comes to the same realization that Luther gave voice to with these words. Our whole life is enclosed and established in the bosom of the mercy of God. Our whole life is established and renewed in the bosom of the mercy of God. It is only against the background of this perspective of God's character that we can face the horrific nature, the horrific nature of our sin with hope, with hope that God will indeed cleanse and renew and answer our pleas. Now, having made his pleas for mercy and cleansing, the psalmist now moves on to his confession there in verses 3 through 6. This confession begins with an emphatic acknowledgement of culpability. For I acknowledge my faults, and my sin is ever before me. The psalmist here takes full responsibility, full responsibility for his sin. There is no blame shifting here, whether that's passing it off onto parents and the conditions in which we were raised in, whether that's passing it off to our spouse or whatever, whoever it is that we're in relationship to. There's no blame shifting here by the psalmist. And he also acknowledges the gravity of his sin, recognizing that though his sin affected other humans grievously, it ultimately was an offense against God himself, the sovereign creator. Against you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. His remarks about being born in wickedness and conceived in sin express the reality that sin is all-pervasive. This does not mean that we are always as bad or as evil as we could be, but it does mean that sin has infected every area of our lives from their very beginning to their end, whether public or private. 
Sin is all-pervasive. And it is this acknowledgement of the all-pervasive nature of sin that compels the psalmist to return to his pleas. Note how his confession is framed by pleas for mercy and cleansing. He now returns with more to ask of God. More to ask of God. There in verses 7 through 12. Yet now he desires... He desires that God would do something more than ritual cleansing. He wants God to do more than just make it where he can stand in front of him and in front of the community without shame. He knows that there's a deeper problem at work that would return him to that place again and again. And so he asks for something beyond imagination. He asks for God to give him a new heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. With 2020 vision, he sees that his broken, sin-filled human condition requires nothing short of a total heart transplant. I need a new heart. The fact that the spirit is broken and the heart crushed by sin actually clears the way for total renewal in the psalmist. Only something that is broken and identified as such can be made new. Ashley and I experienced that. Without a diagnosis of our daughter's heart condition, we'd have never known. You have to be able to see something clearly to identify its broken nature in order to restore it and make it new. And the psalmist here, when he, with a clear, in us as well, with a clear and true perspective, see our sin and acknowledge our brokenness, this is what it does. It opens up the space for God to do the work within us that only God can do, that only he can do as the sovereign creator of heaven and earth. And it is this same work to create a clean heart that we call upon God to do this morning for baby Francis. We call upon God to create in her a clean heart through and in the waters of baptism for it is only here that God works. I'm not working. She's not working. Her parents and godparents are not working. Only God here is working to restore her heart, to renew it and make it clean, to give her a new heart. Like the beaten and bloodied pilgrim, Francis is unable to cleanse herself. She's unable to to create within herself a new heart. But praise be to God, like the good Samaritan, Jesus, the Son of God, risked becoming unclean, taking on our human nature completely, so that he might completely cleanse us and heal our wounds, creating in us clean hearts. For it is in And through the waters of baptism that God cleanses us from sin. Just listen to Paul's recollection of the words of Ananias to him. Rise and be baptized, Saul, and wash away your sins, calling upon Jesus' name. How can this be? How can it be? 
that here God renews, that here God makes new. Because God, the sovereign creator, makes it so through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Did you hear Paul in our New Testament lesson? For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It is in and through the waters of baptism that we are united to Jesus' death burial and resurrection and receive the abundance of God's grace and the free gift of his righteousness. Here we are cleansed and clothed in Jesus' righteousness. We are children of the mud people and he cleanses us and gives us his royal garments enabling us to enter the king's palace. If you desire grace and righteousness to reign in life, then you must submit to Jesus' call to come here and die. To be drowned in these waters along with Jesus. Just as Paul declares in his letter to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. Everybody must descend into these waters through faith in Jesus and repentance of sin in order to be raised to new life. As Paul continues in Galatians, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. George and Rachel, Godparents, John, Lucy, Kyle, Taylor, you bring Francis here this morning to die. That's the short of it to be drowned so that by God's grace and effectual power, she will be cleansed, given a clean new heart and raised to new life in Jesus. For us who have already been baptized, who have already been plunged into this flood, today we remember our baptisms and renew our commitment to the pilgrim way of Jesus that is the way of the cross that leads to death and through death ultimately to life. Our Lenten pilgrimage then, on our Lenten pilgrimage then, let us renew our commitment to daily and often painful, lifelong dying to ourselves, picking up our crosses to follow Jesus so that his new resurrection life might reign in us for his glory, and that we might be transformed, transformed into the image of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.